Two episodes ago, we shared an interview with Marcus West. His class, Into the Darkest Places, Working with Early Relational Trauma and Borderline States of Mind, is now open for registration. It will be Friday, December 13th, 2019, from 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. More information about that course is available on our website. If you would like to hear the interview with Marcus, listen to our August episode of this podcast. to the Jungian Anthology Podcast, Analytical Psychology Seminars from the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. Why Become a Jungian Psychoanalyst? An interview with Adina Davidson and Dan Ross. Boris Matthews, the Director of Training at the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago, interviews two Jungian psychoanalysts and recent graduates of our analyst training program, Adina Davidson and Dan Ross about why they chose to commit to Jungian work and how it has changed their practices. The Analyst Training Program prepares experienced licensed clinicians to become certified as Jungian psychoanalysts through an in-depth understanding of the theory and practice of analytical psychology grounded in personal analysis and clinical consultation. There's more information about the training program in the show notes, as well as much more information on our website. Something I specifically want to mention for podcast listeners is that the Analyst Training Program is designed to make analytic training available to all qualified applicants. The one weekend a month structure allows training to fit into one's professional life, whether or not you live in the Chicago area, and a significant portion of our training candidates do not live in the Chicago area, but travel to the Institute. Our location in the Loop has convenient access to public transportation, both O'Hare and Midway airports, and Union train station. We have discount rates at the club quarters, hotel, and tuition assistance is available to those in financial need. All classes and events are accessible. To learn more about the program, the Institute, or to download an application, visit our website. Hello, everybody. I'm Boris Matthews. I'm the director of the Analyst Training Program at the Young Institute of Chicago. The Analyst Training Program is the postgraduate program for experienced licensed clinicians who want more than their academic training provided. Today, I'm talking with two recent graduates of the training program, Adina Davidson and Dan Ross. Hello, Adina. Hello, Dan. Hello. Okay. I would like to ask you about some of your experiences in the Analyst Training Program. You've recently completed your training. Um, Could you say something about how your practice has changed as a result of your experience? Um, Adina? So, yeah, I um, actually thought about this question a little bit. And I have a a client story, if that would be okay. Of course. 
Um, so I have a marital couple that I've been working with for about a year and a half. And the, the, the wife is in uh, analysis with a Jungian analyst and she referred the couple to me for couples work. Um, and it kind of, the focus initially had been on the wife's sort of sense of being out of control and the husband's feeling like I'm trying to manage this baby and she's out of control and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, we worked together for a year and a half and they're doing great and they're coming to the end because they're uh, going to be going out of town for about six months. And she came in and she said to him, I know that your mother was very crazy and your job growing up was to manage your crazy mother and you're still doing that. And I also know that that was a lot of your job in our marriage. And I want you to know that I am moving into my own full adulthood and I want to be a full partner with you. And he got this kind of look of panic over his face. You could just see him going, I don't know if I'm ready to let you be a, a partner. And she could see it too. And we kind of talked about that a little bit, that how scary that would be for him to let her be a fully adult with him. And, and then we talked a little bit about about this whole idea of repetition compulsion and how tracks that are laid down in your family, how we kind of repeat them over and over and over again. And what I, and what I said is, and as a Jungian, what I bring to that, and as a Jungian analyst, what I bring to that is that I don't think that that repetition is meaningless. I think that that repetition is both of you coming together in this marriage in a very purposeful, meaningful way to try to move through as you repeat over and over again these things from your childhood to try to move through them and move to a new level of consciousness. And that is not a way of seeing this that I could have seen it at all before I started analytic training. I would have seen it as just this meaningless, why are you, you keep doing this? Just stop it. And instead I could see it as, as no, there is purpose to this, to this repetition. Right. That's very interesting, Adina. That's very interesting. So you couldn't have had that point of view. No, no I absolutely not at all. It was really... So it's changed your way of looking at the way people are when they come in. Yes, ab yes, absolutely. And what my role with them is, I, I no longer feel like it's my job to orchestrate the fixing of people. Aha. Uh -huh. It's okay. my job to 
open up space for something that is more than, as uh, one of my teachers said, one ego talking to another ego. There's wow. something to, to open up space for something more than that. Great. Dan? Um, yeah, I think uh, probably the, the, for me the, to describe the uh, before and after uh, includes level of confidence in, w in what's going on mm. um, and, and a sense of comfort with n not knowing what's going on <laughs> and being able to sit, sit with that and with wherever, um, wherever the patient is at and wherever the work is at. Um, probably the most important thing that I experienced in the training program is to not only um, study the, the archetype of initiation, but also to experience it. The whole training program for me was an initiation and the opportunity to experience that and to really feel what that was like and what the differences were and what the components were and um, how that was facilitated and held and, and all of that has contributed immensely to, to all of my practice and my patients um, in, my, in my palliative work mm. because I'm able to see the fact that end of life is, is really an initiatory process and uh, it's given new meaning to, to my work with palliative and patients and hospice patients. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way I can describe it. I can, I can still, I, I don't have to run things. <laughs> I don't have to, uh, I don't have to, I, I simply really, you know, it's the, the cliche of the self, listening to the self, being aware of the self really is what it's about. It's, mm -hmm. it's what is emer emerging in the work at this time. What's emerging between myself and the, and the person on an individual level, uh, as well as what's happening in their life and what's happening on an archetypal level. Mm -hmm. all, all of that um, becomes meaningful. It's almost as if I can reflect back to the people I work with, a reality that has not yet fully come to consciousness for them. That's beautiful. Does that make sense? That it's something that's there that they haven't become conscious of, and they, they find a sense of, of um, containment. Mm -hmm. If I can reflect back that reality in some measure. You yes. know, like patients in palliative care are thinking about death. Right. Um, they're, they're, they're not talking about death. They're not. <laughs> they may be very far from making any plans regarding that, but uh, simply my presence there and my being able to hold that and reflect back in very subtle ways what they may be feeling, um, I think gives them a great deal of comfort. I, think I would just build on that a little bit. Um, 
one of the things that I think has really changed in my work is that awareness of the small, subtle, semi-conscious interactions between myself and an analysand. And, um, and an attunement to my, um, my physical response. Mm -hmm. I remember Dan and I joking at the beginning of training that neither of us really experienced ourselves as particularly having a body. Yeah. Or if we did, it was sort of something that was kind of vaguely in the way of the real work. Yeah. Um, and I think that analytic training has really helped me see my body's reactions as part of part of what I'm bringing into the room, part of the awareness that I'm bringing into the room, part of that container that Dan is talking. Yeah. So I get a sense from both of you, from what you've said, that in in various ways, your sense of responsibility has changed from what it was before until what it is now. Your responsibility as a therapist or an analyst. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, I think the sense of responsibility is, uh, you know, a shift to something that we're, we're held by something greater than us. And that was, I did not know that. Uh, that, I, that. That was my pedagogy in the training program, was to discover that we are held by something greater than us and that being open to that being aware of that, being being being, um, and my being open to that gives um, some sense to the patient that there there is something. They may not be there, but but they kind of learning is <laughs> a process that I believe there's something there. Bigger. And they feel experientially. Yeah. As we, in our experience of it, they feel it experientially. Yeah. Even if they don't put words to it in any way. Mm-hmm. That there's a, I mean, the way I, I talk about it is that there, there's a source of healing that, again, is beyond my ego and my analysis ego. Yeah. That we can put some trust in that. The fact that both of you have experienced that personally uh, makes it real in a way which, uh, having read about it in a book and then telling somebody about is quite different. It's very different. It's very different indeed, yeah. Hmm. So when you look back to before you entered training, uh, what did you feel your practice needed at that time? Because if you've been perfectly happy with your practices, I suspect you might not have entered training. For me, I think there were a few things that I came in consciously knowing I wanted. 
Um, one was simply a new lens. I'd been a family therapist for 25 years already. And I loved and still love working with families, but I needed a new lens to, otherwise, to keep myself fresh and alive and learning. Um, the other thing that I felt very conscious of was that I felt like my graduate school, my doctoral program had not been strong intrapsychically. I learned a lot of systems theory and how systems theory could be applied, but I'd learned very little about what was going on in our depths, in our, in our unconscious. And I really, as I was in midlife, I really felt that as a missing piece in my work. So those were the two things that I came in wanting to learn. I didn't, what I didn't know was how enlivening using my thinking process was going to be. And I'd really spent my adult life, both personally and professionally, very much in my intuition and in my feeling. And developing that thinking function was so, was, is so exciting for me. That's lovely. It has been. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Moving from more of an outer view to more of an inner view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Very much so. Mm-hmm. And personal growth in the process. Absolutely. What would you say to that? Mm-hmm. Well, my practice, uh, it was. Uh, my clinical practice was largely around working with people who are dying and um, over years. And, and that was not just my clinical experience, but also my administrative experience. So I um, was unsatisfied with how uh, end of life was being managed um, by the healthcare system. And I don't understand why I was unsatisfied with that. Um, I don't think people were recognized. And I, I, and I don't think they were recognized fully on either side of the equation, whether it was the medical model or the hospice model. Um, and I didn't understand why that was. I, I once, I'll give you an example. I did a lot of teaching. Mm-hmm. I was trying to t- teach hospice st- workers um, a different way of, of looking at the dying process. And I asked them how they, I, I told them that uh, about Jung's definition, Jung's um a statement about death that that from a psychological perspective, perspective death is a goal and I presented that to hospice workers 
And they were completely perplexed by it, if not irritated by that statement, as, as would people in the medical model. So I realized and started realizing, and then over, over the years um, confirmed, that the hospice model is really just a shadow of the medical model. And it's, <laughs> they see death the same way. Uh-huh. One is against it and the other's for it. <laughs> That's the only difference. So, so when we when we ponder what Jung meant by that, then we have to consider many things uh, that I think are in his uh, theories, uh, you know, um, which include the the idea of the self and the the psyche as. Um, is uh, being balanced and there's uh, uh, the unconscious and the unconscious being compensatory to the conscious. All of that to me gave meaning to what was, to what was going on. So that now I can better understand what Jung meant by that. Um, But I, I had to, I had to escape the shackles of the hospice mentality to do that. Because the hospice mentality uh, and curricula was really, um, really limited and really based on the medical model. It's just disguised. And um, so I, I think that's what drove me. As I look back, I was just very unhappy with what I was doing. I mean, working with dying people without a, 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 the without an understanding of what you, what I was experiencing was like being thirsty and, you know, around an ocean. Uh, you, <laughs> you can't drink any of it. Um, and, uh, and I think that's the change in me right now. Mm-hmm. So I, when, if I sit down with a, with a, uh, a person approaching the end of their life, I hold a lot more than I did before. I can contain a lot more. I can reflect a lot more. And uh, it becomes meaningful. Uh, somebody asked me recently, I said, well, they asked me, well, how can you do that work? I said, how can I not? It's like a breath of fresh air. It's like being with people at the moment of life, which is very analytical. We're with patients in, in extremis. Mm-hmm. The only difference is uh, the analytical uh, session is the extremist is psychological. In the, the physical r- realm, um, the extremist is both physical and psychological. Oh, that's great. If you have uh, colleagues or acquaintances uh, who are not fully happy with what they're doing, sort of dissatisfied with their practice or dissatisfied with what they uh, got in their graduate programs. What might you be inclined to uh, ask them, and then what might you be inclined to tell them? Mm. Mm. Uh, I I think it would depend on why they were unhappy, right? Okay. Um, What if If they were unhappy for some of the reasons that I was unhappy, 
which is that I felt like all of the theory that I had studied and was practicing from cut off major hunks of what it is to be a human being and said, we can only deal with parts of the human being in the office. We can't deal with the spiritual parts. We can't deal with the physical parts. We can't, you know, we can't, we can only deal with this narrow slice of what it is to be a human being. If you're unhappy for that reason, I would say go in, go into analytic training, study Jung, because this is a theory and this is a practice that allows for the whole person to come into the consulting world. Your whole person and their whole person. None of it is off limits. Yes, none of it is off limits. Yeah. Boy, that's a hard one for me. I I don't do a very good job of that because I really believe that people are called to this work. And if they're not called to the work, I'm not sure they're going to be I, I'm, I, it, I, I don't know. I don't know. I it was once asked by a therapist, um, well, what you know, what did you gain by the, the training? And my, my answer was, well, I, I feel like I've become a better person. And um, she said, well, I don't think I need that. I, she goes, I, I, I think I need um, uh, more clinical training. I said, well, I got that too. <laughs> um, I got that too, and I got that immensely. Um, but in the in the moment, I think the most meaningful was what I said. I don't know. I, I when people ask me, oh, you know, do I think I should do it? It's just a strange question because nobody asked me if I should do it. Nobody had to ask me if I should do it. I I, I was called to it 13 friggin' years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, and or, or probably more than that. And um, and that was it. It was definitely a, a calling. So I imagine I think that everybody is called to it. And that may not be true. Well, it is a tough question. It it's is a very a hard question. question. Yeah, it's a tough question. One of the things that strikes me uh, is that uh, I think a lot of what can happen is moving uh, more deeply to embodied experience of whatever that is. Yes, yes. And that that embodied experience... Uh, it's almost where we have to start. Yeah. But we can't start there because a lot of people aren't there yet. So we have to work with them to help them get more embodied. Yes. And then everything builds up from there. I think that's a wonderful description of individuation. Uh, that that if we allow ourselves, we can move into a more embodied existence. I call it mortality, moving into our mortality. Um, that our our modern culture really has 
has so many obstacles to doing that. I, I read, um, I'm, I'm studying uh, the, the story of the epic uh, of Gilgamesh, the epic poem Gilgamesh. I mean, and just became obsessed with it. And as I do, so, and the reason is because first of all, the, the wisdom of it is so ancient, but at the same time, it's wisdom that we don't have today. It's not wisdom, the prevailing wisdom in our modern culture, because it's really a story of individuation, because Gilgamesh has to, in the course of his, the story, come to terms with his mortality. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of it, he is more embodied. <laughs> when he returns to Europe, he is more embodied. And go ahead, go ahead. I guess I would say for me, it's both more embodied and ensouled at the same time. And that, and, and really seeing how, as Dan says, our moment of mortality is a place where embodiment and ensoulment meet for a little while. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's a, it's a, you know, the Hillman's uh, soul making is also, I think, another way of describing that process. Yeah. Very heavy, very important experiences for people to have. So, in closing here, what would you like to tell the uh, people who are listening to this podcast, whether they're clinicians or uh, non-clinicians, any words of encouragement or wisdom that you'd like to share with them at this point that you haven't already shared? I, I would say that if you have, you know, I if you have a yearning towards this, don't stop listening to to the yearning uh-huh. but see what what step you can take in this direction right now and and, and just you know one one step follows another but see what step you you can follow towards that yearning. that's beautiful yes um i i think I, I would I would agree with that and add to it that if you have a yearning for it, don't be discouraged as you come across one of the one of the components of becoming embodied or or more mortal <laughs> is confronting death. So to me, initiation embodies both both eros and thanatos, and both have to be there. For, for the initiation to be effective. And that is true of the ATP program. Uh, if one allows oneself to, to, to surrender to that process. Uh, but it, human nature is what it is. We try to resist that. And I think um, if I, if I would, were telling any new candidates, I would say, Really, this is very different than an academic program. You you have to submit yourself, um, and 
and do the suffering that's necessary that's part of the work and part of the work that we're going to be doing with analysands. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to do that. And I think that that truth is, is true today as it was, you know, back at the original origins of psychoanalysis and analytical psychology. Mm -hmm. And Gilgamesh. <laughs> Gilgamesh. <laughs> I'm reminded of something that uh, Jung says that I can only paraphrase, but uh, we have to be and, and feel our limitations very acutely to appreciate the infinite. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. Well, Adina, Dan, thank you very much for taking time to, to talk with me, to speak to some of these issues. And A pleasure. You're welcome. Yeah. All right. Thank you. This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it all you like as long as you maintain the attribution to the speaker, but please do not change it or sell it. If you like this episode, tell your friends about us or leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about classes, training programs, videos, audio, this podcast, or to find a Jungian analyst near you, visit our website, www.jungchicago.org.